My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially those who are new to us. Maybe it's your first Sunday. Thanks for making us your church home for an hour. Um, before I get in the Word, I just want you to know our website is down. been down for about 48 hours, and uh, we're working with it as best we know how, and it should be up and running tomorrow. Uh, Palm Sunday is the kickoff to what the church has traditionally known as Holy Week. The seven days preceding Resurrection Sunday or Easter. And it's a moment for us to have an an intense and intentional focus on what God wants to do with respect to accentuating the whole process of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in our own lives, what it means to us, how we need to respond to it, how we can get our lives more in line with his word and his will, how we can love people better, serve the world more fervently. And I hope you don't miss this moment. Please, do what you can to allow this seven-day period to make you different afterwards. The day eight, you would really realize something Something's changed. God did something in me. Don't waste these eight. Don't do that. Turn with me over to the book of Luke, chapter 19. Luke, chapter 19. The title of the message today is Don't Miss It. Don't Miss It. Luke 19, verses 41 through 44. Luke 19, verses 41 through 44. Speaking of Jesus, it says, When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. Verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw, throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Lord, help us as we study. I have preached many a Palm Sunday But I've never preached this passage. I don't know whether I've glossed over it in in favor of happier words to make you feel better. But the Holy Spirit just led me to this passage this time. And I think it's because it's important for us to understand that Jesus didn't just come once to a city but he comes to his people regularly. He wants to visit your life routinely. And I want him to have a different response when he comes to you than when he came to Jerusalem in that fateful week. So there are three things we want to discuss. One, an inevitable coming. Two, an insightful perspective from Jesus. And three real impaired vision from the people. Number one, he's coming. Now, he's coming in bodily form at some point. I don't know when. If he came tomorrow, I'd be kind of happy. 
I, I, I know we would not have finished our mission, but he can finish it for us just fine. Um, I, I am looking forward to whatever it's supposed to be like when he returns in bodily form. I want that to happen. But I have every reason to believe that tomorrow I'm going to get up and it's going to be like any other Monday. I plan for it like that. I can't plan for Jesus coming on April 10th. I, 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 I don't know what that would be like in his bodily appearance. But I should plan for him coming to me in my devotional life spiritually. There's something about his ultimate culmination, bringing together all things, that says pretty much, my work is done. But until that time, every time he comes to me, he reminds me of how much more there is to do. Not just in what my hands need to put themselves to, but what needs to be done in my own heart, the work that he wants to do to make me better. I'm reminded of that regularly. He is coming not just to visit, but to take a survey, inventory, to inspect my life, to see whether it lines up more today than it did yesterday. He was coming to Jerusalem. It was planned. The people didn't know exactly when he was going to ascend to whatever throne that he would ascend, but they knew it was going to be at a time period while he was manifested on the earth at some, some, some real level. And so they, they thought, maybe this is it. When he comes to Jerusalem this time, he is going to ascend to this natural throne. They didn't realize that he would ascend to a spiritual one. More real than the natural ones because the one upon which he sits now doesn't ever end. It doesn't come to a, a moment of stopping. It just continues to go on and it increases in its influence. Every natural throne has its moment of finality, transferring one to another. Oh, they were excited. Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Two things they were saying. One, son of David meant he was the Messiah, the promised one. The one who would build the house that David could not. Yes, God spoke of Solomon, but he spoke ultimately of who Christ would be. Secondly, Hosanna, you are the one who can save us. Not, and, and they weren't talking about salvation in terms of how the church thinks of salvation. They were saying, save me from Herod, who is a leader that I did not appoint, nor do I want. He's not godly. He's not even Jewish. Save me from his tyrannical rule. Secondly, there's a guy named Pilate over in Jerusalem. He thinks he's in charge. This is our land. Save me from his authority as well. While you're at it, could you take care of the Pharisees and the tax collectors? The IRS is bugging the heck out of me. Save me from all of that. Lord, when you get down to it, after you fix this land, go over to Rome and save me from Caesar. Save me from the circumstances in which I find. Save me now. That's why they were laying their coats down. That's why they were throwing palm branches, is that they wanted Jesus to do something now for them. They had an agenda. Different than you. You don't have an agenda for God. No, no, no. You don't have a sheet that you'd like him to complete before he does anything that you think needs to be done. 
save me now. Hosanna. And Jesus came for a different reason. He came to save them, but not like they thought they needed to be saved. He came to help them beyond that which they identified they needed help. And, and, and you need help Amen. beyond that which you know. Amen. You need more help than you know. I need more help than I know. And he was coming to die on behalf of humanity. It wasn't something he was shying away from. As we speak on, on Friday at our Good Friday service this week, we'll talk about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was not a moment where he was trying to, to shy away from the cross. For that purpose, he came. He came to die for humanity. His pain in the garden was the idea that somehow or another the sin of the world would come upon him and it might separate him from the Father. Lord, let that cup pass. Let that cup pass. The separation. And, and there's not a theologian around who can explain what it means for the Father to turn his face away from the Son. What it means when Jesus said, why have you rejected me? For there to be a separation in, in the Godhead, I, I don't even know what that means. But it was so necessary that that flesh be made completely sin and then be buried, both sin and the power of it, in the grave. It died in Christ. In his flesh, sin died. All of that had to happen. He had to become everything that humanity was in terms of its wickedness and its greed, selfishness, its propensity to, to self-destruct regularly and to take other people down. He had to become all of that, the rejection, the anger, the pain, malice, ill thought. He had to become it so that we could become what he was, his righteousness. The great exchange took place there. But I don't even know that, his, that the fullness of his, his humanity understood exactly what it was going to be until he got in that garden and, 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 and revelation began to come to him about the separation that would take place. Father, let that pass. It wasn't the pain of the nails. It wasn't the jeers of the people. It wasn't the rejection of his own kind. It was the fact that somehow there was going to be a separation of fellowship for the first time in all of all of eternity. But he came for this and he didn't shy away from it because he loved us so much. And he loved doing the Father's will even if it meant it cost him. He was about to save, but save differently. And God wants to save you, but rarely does he want to save you like you think you need to be saved. Now he'll get to all the other issues that you believe are important, but by the time he gets to them, you won't believe they're important. There'll be an on-the-way moment. I can't tell you how many times God has waited to give me what I thought I needed 10 years ago. And then when I got it, I literally said, I don't need that now. It doesn't even make me happy. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 it's okay, I, I, but I would have... That's why I gave it to you now. 
because you wanted it so much that it would have fulfilled a, a spot, it would have filled up a spot in your soul that would not have been filled because it was designed for me to be filled. And you would have thought it would have fulfilled you and you would have been more happy with that than me. And so I waited to get your character to the place where now you knew exactly how you ought to feel about what I give you. He saves us, but not like we think, not, why, not, not like we expect. As I've said so many times, he just does not co-sign on your life plan. And, and, and he, he doesn't because he's smarter than you. <laughs> he knows the end from the beginning. Why would he want to sign on to a plan of failure? Your life plan is one of two things, too small or all wrong. Just one of those two. Just pick one. Why would he want to sign on to that? He thinks bigger than you. He's got better plans. But he can't fulfill that stuff with the you that you are now. And so he, he has to change you in order to get you to be the kind of person who can fulfill the, the things that need to be fulfilled in your life so you can become the person you ought to be and do the stuff you ought to do. And so he's not going to, he's not going to co-stamp much of what you think is important. And 10 years from now, you'll say thank you. Unfortunately, four days after Jesus rode into the city, they weren't saying thank you. This was not my idea of what a Messiah ought to be. I thought you were supposed to come in and do something about all my oppression. I thought you were supposed to fix my city, change the religious system. Where's my help? And too often we find ourselves in that version of humanity. Remember, we are no better than the people in the Bible. Amen. You talk about wrong judgment. Everybody knows the scripture. Even those people who don't believe that the Bible is legit. Never read it in their life. They know one verse. And they will quote it to you regularly. They got it on cue. It just flows out of them. They've actually memorized it. What is it? Mm, I didn't even say it and you knew. Everybody knows that passage. But when you talk about judgment, Jesus wasn't saying, don't judge. He's saying, don't judge wrongly. <laughs> you ever tried telling your mama that if she was spanking your bottom? <laughs> how, about, how about in your quarterly evaluation in your office? <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you ever tried pulling that scripture out? You wouldn't have another evaluation, that's for sure. <laughs> You'd have to find someplace else to go be employed. Jesus didn't say don't judge. He just said don't judge wrongly. And when you think that somehow you're a whole lot better than the humans that have been, people say with respect to folks' wrong action and wrong, their version of wrong thought, 
It's 2017. I say, so? We're still the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. Simply because we, we've, time has moved on doesn't mean people have changed a bit. We're the same version of humanity that would be mad at God four days after we were happy. Praising him for his goodness and grace and trying to crucify him later. Same version. And Jesus realizes that. And he comes into the city with a very different attitude as his people were praising him. In the middle of a worship service, he says, I'm mad at you. (laughs) Hands lifted, people swaying. Folks got a little groove on it. it just they got it going. And Jesus says, Stop. I've come to inspect, not to receive your praise. His coming is inevitable. And you cannot gloss over his inspection process with your religious words with your Sunday morning attendance where you clocked in and somehow have replaced that for your obedience. He's coming to inspect. And what is he going to find with the people in Jerusalem that day? It was very insightful. He says, I'm disappointed because you all didn't understand the recipe that makes for peace. His soul was filled with sorrow because he said, not one stone is going to be left upon. You all are praising me, thinking that I'm going to set up a kingdom that's not going to end starting today in Jerusalem and working its way out to the four corners of the earth. But I'm telling you something. In a minute, there's not even going to be a Jerusalem. Oh, there will be a spot that marks the spot, but no city. No dwelling place, no people will inhabit it. In 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. That generation experienced the worst devastation. Babylon, when they came in 586, from 609 to 586, that was bad. This was worse. This was worse. And Jesus then was being a prophet, saying, this is what's going to happen earlier in Matthew 23. And in Luke 21, he says, make sure your flight is not in winter. When they come to besiege a city, get out as quickly as you can. It's going to be bad. It's going to be really, really bad. He was giving them a warning, saying destruction is coming. And you think salvation is coming to the city. Destruction is coming because the attitude of the people is wrong. Your expectations are wrong. And you had no idea what the recipe was to get right. You didn't understand what it meant to make for peace. Now, this is, this is the, the last point of my sermon that the people had impaired vision. Jesus was really trying to work with these folks for three and a half years. And he had a predecessor who worked with him for about three years. John the Baptist, the best prophet ever. That's not Brett, that's Jesus. He said, nobody born of woman, is greater than John the Baptist. He was the best prophet. Put Elijah in there, Elisha. Put Jeremiah, Isaiah, anybody who wrote a book. 
Jesus said, nobody is better than this one. That generation, listen to me, that generation overlapped the best prophet and the Messiah. Sent to one generation. And they blew it on both of them. Said you didn't understand what was important in the recipe for peace. And everybody wants peace. Nobody wants conflict. Nobody wants war. It's hard, painful, lots of loss. But there's a recipe that God has. There's a way that he constructs peace that he's not going to compromise on. He's not going to let you just add your little bit in there. You've got to follow what's in the, the Betty Crocker book. You've got to follow the recipe that's in the Bible. And these people had it, and they missed it. It's like looking at the, at the food channel and watching this fellow make a recipe, make a dish, and, 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 and not having a pencil and paper at the time, nor a DVR. Well, how much, what did he, how did you, wait, right, stop. Oh, I missed it. That was, that's what that tastes, that looks like it's going to taste really good. But I don't have to. These people had somebody who was cooking a dish that was so tasty. Unlike any that have been before, just for their generation. And they didn't have pen and paper, and they had no DVR. They wouldn't take notes. I'm, tr- I'm trying to find somebody with a pencil. They wouldn't take notes. I don't use pencil and paper anymore, but I use my phone. The recipe for peace is this. I hear what you say. I recognize that your voice is a voice from heaven. And I choose to acknowledge that what you say is better than what I think. Therefore, I change what I think to follow what you say. I'm going to turn my life around, and I'm going to follow you for the rest of my days. Whatever you say, I'm going to do. Wherever you lead me, I'm going to follow. How you want me to think, I'm going to conform my mind to change me that I can be more like you. So that when people hear me, they hear you. When they see me, they see you. That's what I want to be. That's the recipe for peace, that you acknowledge that you are not what God intended when he thought about creating you, but, but, but you want to be. And the only way you can get there is to repent and to turn your life around, stop from following your own ideas, start following the Bible's ideas, conform your life to what the Bible says in terms of how you live. If you're living with somebody, move out today. I realize that I, I, I hang out with a lot of people that, that don't even know that when they're shacking up with somebody, it's wrong. And, and they invite me over to dinner. That's how not wrong they think they are. They're inviting a preacher. It's like inviting a cop to your crime. What are you doing? But I'm sitting there thinking, I gladly accept. (laughs) 
Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Tell me what time. <laughs> oh. Sometimes you got to start behind the starting line. You can't assume that people know what's right. You got to run it back and say, oh, you're not there. You're way back here. Okay, let's start back here, and then we can get to the starting line. If you're living in sin, whatever it might be, stop. I beg you, stop. I'm not trying to inconvenience your life. I'm trying to destroy it. You've made a complete mess of it. I am your voice today to say, let's fix it. You got to repent. You can't just make little alterations and think that band-aids are going to repair. Your life is so messed up. The only way to fix it is to destroy it. Okay, I'll say it differently like the Bible. It's, I, it, I sound very violent. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. Die. That's how Jesus put it. Die. The only way you can be mine is if you die. It's not about reformation. It's not about fixing a few things. It's not about being the best version of you. Self-help. It's about realizing that you are not, you're not a good enough version to repair. You have to die. He's not interested in commingling your ideas with his, your ways with his. He wants complete surrender. And then let him remake you. That's the only way it works in Christianity. It's the only way it works. That's why he said you must be born all over. You got to start all over. You have to learn new ways, not just adopt some to your old. That's how you make for peace. Because right now your life is at war with God. He's not at war with you. He's made all the peace he needs to make. He sent his son to die for your sins. He cares about you that much. He paid the penalty so you don't have to. He made his peace with you. He's now asking you to stop putting your fist up in his face and lay down your armaments of sin and rebellion and surrender and let his life come to yours so that it can be eternal. So that yours can be eternal and never end. Those are the things that make for peace. And then he said, Your vision is so impaired that you did not recognize the day of your visitation. It was right here in front of you. But you were blind to it. You saw stuff that I wasn't showing you. You held on to things that I did not give you. You hoped in things that were not my hope for you. And therefore you could not see what I wanted to do. You had a different picture. 
And the Bible in James calls itself a mirror. The Bible is supposed to be a mirror to us. The problem is we are so not like what God intended us to be that when we open our Bible, we can't even see us in it. I tell you to read your Bible every day. But it's a chore because you can't see you in it. Sometimes the words don't pop off the page. And then sometimes you're sitting there reading it thinking, what's that? Why is that in the Bible? <laughs> what is he trying to say? I don't get this at all. You don't recognize. That's how messed up. We can't even see ourselves in the manual. We can't see ourselves in what God has left us in order to reveal who we are. That's how messed up we are. And therefore, we miss it when God comes to us and tries to speak because we don't recognize that it's for us. We think, oh, I'm glad Pastor Brett is talking to that dude next to me because he really needs it. We don't recognize, oh, me? And the word visitation here is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's the word episcope, which is where we get our word for ruler in English, and it's, it's translated, literally, transliteration, where you take the, the original uh, um, sounds of an other, another language and make it into an English word. The Episcopalians, the Episcopalians are a form of Christianity, a denomination, and they actually have taken their name from a style of rulership. It's the same word that's used over in 1 Timothy where Paul says if anyone desires to be an, a ruler, an elder, an episcope, it is a fine work he desires to do. So the way this reads is that Jesus says, you missed the day of your oversight. The time when I came to you to give you good leadership, you missed it. You don't, you don't want to miss it when Jesus is offering you his lordship. I realize you have to let go. You're not in control anymore. But his rulership is better than yours. Don't miss it. And then secondly, he has designated authority on the earth. People to whom he delegates things. And they are as much like him as anyone would like. Namely, Brett, I have many flaws. And I have many issues, those which I am trying to overcome on a regular basis, and hopefully I'll be a little bit better next week than I was this week. But I'm working it, I'm working it, I'm working it. I still have the standard. I, I, I don't allow myself to slip. I still have the standard that says the leader ought to be the best of the people he leads. That doesn't mean that I am the best Christian in this house. It just means that composite-wise, I ought to be somebody that you can emulate and follow and not have to make excuses for regularly. Not have to always dance around. He's a great communicator, but he's got this little mm-mm. <laughs> Just fill in the blank. And you know the people I'm talking about. You always have to say, mm. boy, he can preach, but uh -huh. I 
I don't ever want to be that. I don't ever want to be that. That's why I'm not trying to be a great performer on Sunday morning. And I'm sorry I'm not the best preacher you've ever heard. I want to be the best Christian, though. I want to be that. And if I can be a great Christian, maybe I can talk to you well. Don't miss out on the day of, of, of leadership that God provides simply because he's so human. She doesn't fit the model that you want. Don't miss it. I may not be the best. In fact, I'm not. Follow somebody. The people who don't want to follow anybody don't like authority. I get it. But they love their own. Oh, they love their own authority. They just don't like anybody else's. And if you take that out to the nth degree philosophically, it's called anarchy. Nobody can say anybody needs to do anything right. And we can't live in a society like that. Now, the best leaders on the planet realize they're not the best leaders on the planet. It's been said that the wisest men first start with understanding they know nothing. If you can find some people like that who are humble enough, carry them, themselves with a little bit of a limp because their humanity is something they have to compensate for regularly. If you find somebody like that, get in behind them with, even with their flaws because you don't want to miss out on the day when God gave you good shepherding and oversight because it can help you get to where you need to be when you can't get there on your own. Don't miss the day of your visitation. Don't miss out on the recipe for peace. Jesus is coming. He's coming to your life. He's coming. He's on his way. Let him be pleased with what he finds when he sees you. Let's pray.